Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. All right. Welcome, welcome. I'm so pleased today to have as our honored guest, Joydi Hazra. Uh, he is the product manager, uh, product program manager over at Nokia, one of the product program managers. So excited that you're able to join us, Joydi. You're also serving as a board member at YouthLink in Bellevue, Washington. So we hope to hear some of the details about both of those and, of course, much more as we dive in together. So thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Very glad you're here. And we got a chance to visit beforehand in our planning meeting. And I just have several notes from that that I'm excited to dive into. Uh, most important, though, before I get ahead of myself, I just would love to give you the opportunity to just share a bit more about yourself, your background, uh, upbringing, you know, whatever those key events are that make you you. I know that's a big ask. It's hard to summarize our whole lives into a minute and a half or whatever it takes, but uh, love for you to just highlight kind of what, what your journey has looked like up until now and, and what uh, what you're doing current day as well. Yeah, so I'm uh, a global citizen, how I introduce myself. I'm an engineer deep in my heart and in a regular life, I'm a father, husband, and a community leader. And over the period of time, I have grown up in Asia, I worked in Europe, and I'm living in the United States. And in the middle of 32 countries that I span across. So that's how I would like to introduce myself. Boy, I love that. I love that global citizen description. I think that's really powerful. I would love to hear maybe as kind of an initial uh, insight from you, like what, what has that done for the way you see the world and like shaped the way you go about your, your work and even interactions outside of work with family and friends or whatever that might be like, like how, how has that shaped the person that you are now having experience in 32 countries? Yeah, it's a great question. So the, the core thing that I realized is all of us humans have the same basic human needs. We all have the same love and respect for nature, for our family, and we all strive to do the best we can for ourselves. And no matter what the language we speak, we can have the same common core, no matter where we are. And end of the day, I've always connected with people with this core human reason by which they found that they all love food. They like to try each other's cultures, learn from each other, and talk about how good and bad their bosses are. And at the same time, they also talk about their families. They love to talk about their kids, their neighbors. So end of the day, it's predominantly a very common theme that I've noticed. And every time I go to some place, I always connect with the human beings first before I connect with them as colleagues. Hmm. I, I really, really love this. And I think there is such a need in the world. I don't know. I haven't uh, traveled as much as you have. And so maybe, maybe, uh, well, I'd certainly have a limited view uh, in a lot of ways. But I, I think that especially here in the U.S., uh, that there is such a need for a reminder that we're really all so similar, that regardless of differences in belief or appearance or value systems or whatever it is at the core, we like to eat good food. We like to make sure our families are safe and talk about them. Uh, we like to have new experiences, feel like we're contributing something of value, you know, whatever, whatever else we could add to that list. But I just think there's so much power in that. And hopefully that, that message is, uh, is one that helps all of us be more determined to be unified. I know that's like world, you know, we're talking about like 
let's let's get world peace uh, on the menu. You know, <laughs> let's figure that out together right now. That's a big ask, but anyway, I think that's uh, that's tremendous. Any any comments around that? Yeah, so world peace is not really bad if we just sit and hang out with each other. That's world peace. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Let's just hang out and relate to each other. And, and again, I just I love the way you you describe that. That's really powerful. Well, and I know you had uh, quite a, a series. I mean, of course, like all of us, you have a series of experiences when you were young. Uh, your father was an Air Force veteran, and uh, that planted that chapter of your life planted in you the desire to be a pilot. So I want to hear more about that. I got to hear uh, how that went and. Uh, anyway, I was in, really intrigued with that when we did our off-air planning session. So if, if you're willing, it'd be tremendous to hear about it. Yeah. So I grew up in an Air Force camp. And back in the days, they had those old jets that made a lot of noise. So I would get up at 5 in the morning every single day, listening to these jets just blast off in front of my house because we didn't live close, not far from the runway. And instead of being annoyed, my father said, look how cool they are. And that's how I saw those pilots. And the only thing he told me was there are cool people and there are civilians. So anybody who's not in the armed forces, I'm sorry for them, but that's my father. And, and that's the <laughs> you know demarcation he had. So you got to be cool. And, 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 and I learned from this pilot that every single day they show up way early in the morning, all dressed up, you know, with hair back with those aviator glasses, and they just jet off from the runway. And they never complained. They never tired. And they always told me, you can be afraid of the heights. Or you can look far and see how far you can go. And that left a tremendous impact on my life. So I never look down when you're on a cliff. I always look far, like how far you can jump and go. And that's a common line that I practice every single day. Boy, that's awesome. I, I, I want to capture that accurately. So you can either be afraid of the heights or you can look out in the distance and see how far you can go. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Huh. So when you're a pilot high up in the sky... If you look down, you will get scared that you're going to fall down. But the point is, even when your jets fail, you still have wind underneath your wings and you can glide down. So that's another way I learned when I learned flying myself. But there is a middle way too. But the main point is don't be afraid. Look far. Yeah, that's so great. Love that. Well, and one of the things that I love about uh, about your story, specifically in the sense of that determination to be a pilot in your youth, is that... Uh, it may not have come out come about in the traditional sense. It wasn't just the story of you joining the Air Force, becoming a pilot, just like those pilots you saw that were so cool taking off next to your house growing up. So what, what happened? How did you get to that point? Yeah, so I took a little detour. So when I went to the Air Force Academy, I did pass all my tests, but somehow I felt my mom was depressed. She always felt that when you be a pilot, you're going to crash and die. And I figured, you know, let me let me postpone my flying experience a little bit. Let me go back to being an engineer. And I can always learn to fly later. And I, I traveled the world at the time as an engineer. I spent about six, seven years in Finland. And even though Finland is a small country, it's big. And I found a small aviation academy. And when I went in there, I saw a nice old man who was willing to take me under his wings and train me how to be a pilot. So in frozen Scandinavia, in minus 32 degrees Celsius, I learned how to fly the first time. And then about a year and a half later, after flunking a few courses, but I, I was really good at uh, handling the plane. I was not good at uh, passing tests, but after a year and a half, I got my flying license. And in my early 30s, I got my first CPL from the Finnish Flying Academy. And I always cherish that till today, that I did not miss my dream. Sometimes dream can happen later, but don't give up on your dreams. 
Boy, what a great message. Uh, and, and I think often, and I don't know about the majority of the time, but often enough to, to highlight it, uh, that's true, that there are, there's more than one way, one, more than one path between wherever we are now or wherever we once were and a future dream that may not have yet been achieved. So I think that's, that's important. Now, of course, this is all the principles we've talked about so far tie into leadership just because leadership is central to life. But let's kind of shift gears a little bit and get into uh, lessons of leadership. You had a really interesting uh, couple of en- encounters uh, you shared with me. You were invited to help do something that you really weren't, uh, I guess, naturally interested in or inclined to do, but you were in- invited to help out with an exhibit of some sort. And I'm wondering if maybe we can we can dive into that and, and hear about the unusual encounter that came from that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So this was absolutely unexpected, very, very unusual because it, it leads me in the area of art. And I, being an engineer, being a very hands-on person, I don't think I'm an artist in any way. I, I can't even say I can spell art unless it's spelled out to me. I'm that bad. But, you know, life brings you amazing experiences. So 2008 uh, in Seattle, I was just hanging around with my friends and a friend of mine, she says, hey, you have an Indian background. We need some help with a uh, 250-year-old art exhibition, I mean, um, artifacts. And I said, 250 years old? Uh, it's way too old. I can't even touch it. So, by the way, what do you want me to do? Oh, we need to work with Mimi. I'm like, Who, who's Mimi? Oh, Mimi Gardner. Who's Mimi Gardner? Um, she's the... Uh, curator of Seattle Asian Art Museum. I'm like, okay, you know, mother Mimi, I'll work with her. And little did I know, it was Mimi Gardner Gates, Bill Gates' mother. And she was very humble. She was very nice. She didn't even ask me anything, how capable I am or not. She just told me, join the team. And I used to work with uh, the Seattle Asian Art Museum whole staff. They were wonderful people. And I'm so, uh, you know, blessed. Nobody even asked me anything about my background. They just said, come and join the team. And as a part of the team, I learned about art, I learned about history, I learned about the whole family history of the king from whose basement these arts came out. These were stuck there for 250 years. And, and, and I felt so you know, happy that I, I could do a little part in this. And over time, we did some fundraising, we did a lot of exhibitions, we did a lot of uh, outreach. I mean, my major part was outreach because a lot of people like me who think they don't deal with art can definitely talk about it because you learn and you talk. And when I did that, I realized that we raised $325,000. That was way beyond my even dreams. And then that was one. And along with that, I got to meet an amazing gentleman, Senior Gates. That was her husband. And again, little did I know how tall he was. I would just look at him from a distance like, wow, who the hell is he? And then he was Senior Gates. And Bill Gates, I always knew that he was the richest man in the world. He owned Microsoft. And like, you know what? I never met him. But I was so glad that I met both the Gates, and they had a huge impact on my life. So because I met the Gates family, the senior Gates, I would hang out at the Seattle Art Museum, and I would hang out with incoming dignitaries, a lot of teachers and professors, because I went into this journey of learning about it. Once I was into it, I wanted to know how far can I go. I would show up every Saturday morning at the Seattle Asian Art Museum, listen to them. And then one fine day, there were a lot of questions going on. That was the first time I saw Senior Gates a little bit angry. Someone accused him or asked him about money being the solution for solving world's problems. And that was one day he just got up. A towering six foot seven feet person just got up from his chair and said, no, it's education. You can have all the money in the world, but without education, you cannot solve anything. And I took it to heart. 
And over time, there are two more things he talked about. One is take care of your culture. That adds color to our lives. We can all get up in the morning, go and do our jobs. But imagine you have your ethnicity, your culture, and that makes us colorful. And the last part that I learned from him was what he called the impact. Every person has an impact. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you can solve everything. What solves everything is the impact we have on our neighbors, on ourselves, and what we do for each other. Boy, those are all, all three of those are just so powerful uh, as experiences, as principles for life. One of the things that really stands out to me in listening to you tell the story uh, is if you wouldn't have had that thirst for learning and kind of just a natural curiosity, you would have completely missed not only the opportunity to meet the senior gates, uh, as you put it, but some of these uh, these life-changing, life-improving principles. So where does that come from for you? Like, what, what uh, is there some type of point of origin or some uh, key experiences along the way that gave you that? Or is that just natural for you? Or I'd love for you to talk about that because I think that's a, a key to, uh, again, the world of leadership is maintaining that desire for learning and knowledge and, and staying curious as we go. Yeah, so that comes from my old uh, formula of, you know something, but that doesn't stop you from learning more. So you have a learning from the books, and you have a learning from the life. And when you add it together, it gives you powers to decide. So because of that, I'm always looking for things that I can learn every day. It doesn't have to be from the books. It has to be from talking to people like you and me, right? We're doing each other. We are, we're learning from each other. We look around. We learn from things that are happening. We ask questions. We learn more. So, so this quest for learning never stops. And no matter where you are, what you do, you can always learn from each other from all around. And that curiosity is something that I have inside me. I'm not a very bookish person. I fail a lot of exams because I can't recall. But when I see something, I learn very fast. It's something like a muscle memory that I have. And it goes back to my flying days. I don't recall a lot of stuff, but whatever I learn, it stays deep inside and I can always bring it back slowly. And that's the way I see end to end with a huge breadth, not a huge depth. Boy, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And I completely agree just with that central philosophy. What do you think the other end of that spectrum looks like? And by that, I mean, uh, if, if uh, let's just say a leader chooses to assume that they know enough and that they really don't need to continue to learn, uh, what are the consequences of that approach? If you just kind of close off your mind and say, I've, I've got it, I've got enough uh, enough knowledge. My brain is full, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's something I accept. People do have a lot of fatigue because learning is a heavy process. It impacts your internal brain system, and we do get tired. With everything happening all around us, learning is not easy. You have to put a little extra effort to it. Uh, what I see is a middle path. Sometimes you do learn, and you become a thinker, but you're not a doer. And that's the kind of people that I'm always afraid of is people who think a lot and they always create a lot of criticism for people who want to do something. Just because they don't know anything doesn't mean that willingness to succeed should be overrun by the by the fear of failure. So I always choose the willingness to succeed, learn as you go, pick it up on the go. Otherwise, just think about it. We would never send people to moon because nobody has been there. Now we're sending people to Mars. Nobody has been there, but we're doing it. We do it step by step because we have a willingness to succeed. You have the deep desire to do something that overrules the the strong, you know, fear of failure. It's it's as simple as I can see. Don't don't be afraid of failure. That's tremendous. Well, and I, I love your statement about the middle path. Uh, just that that uh, we we've got to achieve a balance 
between thinking and doing. And some of the ancient philosophers spent most of their days just thinking and, and uh, writing and, and things. And again, that was worthwhile. Certainly, we're blessed to have some of that documented. And I think the key is that we can build on that uh, by finding this this uh, equilibrium point where we're able to think and learn and then go and apply and improve not only ourselves, but improve our environment. Um, so anyway, I think that's a beautiful formula. I absolutely love it. I, uh, I want to maybe tie this into to your uh, your additional role uh, on the board at YouthLink. Um, love to hear kind of about uh, why you chose to do that and what that's what that's done in your for your life, I guess, as you've uh, gotten involved there for I think it's been uh, you told me before the show six years now. Yeah, so I did not have again any experience with any kind of board. So middle two thousand, I wanted to join the board of my local bank and. They did not pick me up, but the lady who did not select me didn't throw me out of the door. She walked me out of the door and she said, I'm not rejecting you. I'm asking you to find something that you would like to do or you're good at when you come inside. When you find that, apply again. I spent many years trying to figure out how do I even answer the question. I don't even know how to be in a board. But then I know that I'm a good uncle. I, I love to talk to my nieces and nephews all around. I, I love to hang out with young people because they are curious. And, I'm, and being a curious mind, I like to interact with them. And this opportunity came out of nowhere. I don't even know how I got the form. I just realized there is a youth board in my city. And this board has been there for the last 25 years. So I should have known about it way earlier. But somehow I did not know. And I filled the form and I walked into the office. At the time, it was pre-pandemic. So you could go to the office and a, and a lady, she invited me in. She took my form. She saw the deep you know, desire for me to do something, which even I didn't know, but she saw it. But So she took me in. I was interviewed by the director of Parks and Recreations, and they asked me a question. What would you like to do here? And I said, I would like to be a side wheel of a bicycle where the youth ride the bicycle, and I would be the side wheel. They started laughing, and I just got so scared because they said, that's our model. We don't need to ask any more questions, so come on in. And from then, I started learning the, the robots rules of the board. And I was so scared. I was sitting in a corner. There were six young people, a few adults running the board. But in a few six months, I quickly picked up and then I never looked back. And the next uh, four years, they selected me as their chairperson unanimously, which was really a record. Not only did I finish my first term with three years, I went on next three years and total four and a half years I was a chairperson. And in this duty, I was working with six to 12 young adults from high school. And we had direct connection with the city mayor, the city managers, the staff. And we just looked into any policy that didn't make sense. And collectively, youth and the adults, we tell them what is good, what is wrong, how we look at future things. And it's an awesome way for young people to get involved with the civic engagement with the towns. And I encourage anybody who's listening to us today, just search for Bellevue Youthling Board. Uh, yesterday, I finished my sixth year and the 32nd year of this board. And I encourage anybody and everyone to just look into this and take it to their cities and towns and encourage young people to participate. Boy, it's tremendous. I love it. And, and yeah, it seems like a kind of a core theme of uh, what we've discussed so far is just because of your willingness to not kind of put the blinders on and just kind of uh, grind it out over a period of several decades and get your career done and then go retire and sit on a porch somewhere. Like you've just stayed naturally curious. You've stayed naturally generous in your approach. 
Um, and that has led to, again, the, the exhibit led to meeting the Gates family. And this led to uh, serving on a board, even after some rejection, which I think is awesome, just because you had that core desire and didn't let any type of, uh, again, we talked a bit uh, before about failure. You didn't let the failure be the thing that killed the dream or killed the goal. Um, so I, is there anything else there? I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we peel back that late, that onion a little bit on that front of when you fail, how do you rekindle the flame? I guess, you know, how, how do you get back into the game and remember why you started in the first place and have that courage to try again? Yeah. So the key thing that drives me forward is what I want to do if I'm there and that thing does not change. The only thing that changes is the path gets a little bit longer, but the desire remains the same. And every time you do something, the next time you can do a little bit better. So that's what keeps keeps me, you know, going. Well, that's great, and I love that what you just shared is not all that complicated. <laughs> it's just no, it's not. Remember, remember why you decided to why you wanted to try in the first place and try again, basically. So I, I think that's uh, that's beautiful. Well, so I'd love your thoughts on how, how can we kind of distill down uh, one or more of, of the core principles or ideas that we've discussed, especially from your experiences, into an action item? What can people do uh, to go forward and uh, improve themselves as human beings but also and also as leaders uh, by uh, taking something and acting upon it? Yeah, so I will just give two sentences. One, leadership is not complicated. It starts from an internal desire to look after yourself, your family, your neighbors. Don't try to save the world. Just just be a community person because that's a group you live with day in, day out. Don't try to save somebody a continent away when your neighbor is starving or there are kids you know, a couple of blocks away who need some help. And that's as simple as that. That's the whole reason why I love my city. I love my town. I love my neighbors because end of the day, they all back me up. Boy, that is, that is so great. I am very blessed already. My life is better because you've spent this time, this few minutes with me and with our audience. I'm confident their lives will be improved as well. And again, you've uh, we're all kind of your neighbors in this setting. And that's what I love about our conversation. It just feels like we're kind of all sitting on the porch, having this visit, reflecting on some of the things we've learned in our lives and uh, trying to, to improve each other. And, and I just love how naturally and generously you've shared. So is there any any final wisdom you want to share or or anything before we say goodbye here? No, one thing I would encourage you to take a look at the Bellevue Youth Link Board, and I'll get you a young leader who's going to talk to you about the whole thing, how that 17-year-old boy uh, got motivated with the whole thing. That that young boy sits in uh, New Jersey. He's not even here, but he had faith in himself. He had the desire to learn, and he just reached all the way here. So same thing, I invite any youth from anywhere in the world to come and join our board. We're just uh, one screen away. Excellent. I love that invitation. Well, again, thank you, Joydeep. So blessed to interact with you here today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit lumenleader.com. We'll see you next time.